When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 243. Today's episode is all about the transformative power of holding space. Expectations are a direct reflection of our defenses. So lots of expectations comes from lots of defense. So as people on healing journeys, we work on healing the wounds that created the defenses like a protective mechanism inside of us. We learn to bring down the walls and feel safe and sovereign in ourselves. And the more the walls come down, the less defensive we are. And the less defensive we are, the less expectations we have. And what is helpful, as most people don't know, is that they have expectations to maintain the defenses they hide behind. So people want to be intimate but they're afraid of connecting. So as we take responsibility to hold space for ourselves, we lower the wall of defense as we heal our traumas. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. It's a new day, a new episode, and a new opportunity to subscribe to the podcast. You're listening for the first time. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you always know about new episodes. Plus, it makes you one of my favorite people because the more subscribers I have, the more I attract amazing guests to help better serve you. So don't forget to subscribe. Today, I'm excited to share a review from Sunflower Azalea who says, I'm 37 years old and I'm experiencing my first heartbreak. I've been the one to leave my past relationships and until now, I've not known the true pain of having my heart broken. The pain is unlike any other that I've ever felt and honestly, I've not felt capable of surviving it until now. I'm learning so much about myself, how to love myself, how to hold myself accountable, and most of all, that I'm not alone. Thank you so much for your podcast. Oh, my heart goes out to you, Azalea. I swear there's something about breakups that are like the worst pain in the world. It just brings in so many different emotions of loss, of worthiness, of validation, all of that. So I'm sending you so much love and thank you for leaving this review. Do you ever have those moments where you just don't feel understood? Maybe someone tunes you out in conversation or they make what you're saying all about them or for whatever reason, however the responding is just the opposite of what you need right then? I have quite often especially growing up. Although it still does happen now, it just affects me differently than it used to. The times where I didn't feel heard or seen that stand out to me the most were right after my dad died. I was in college and I was grieving. I remember trying to talk about him with my friends. I just wanted to keep his memory alive. But most often, the people around me would respond by distracting. Quick, talk about something happy or let's take a shot. And I get it, we were 19, but it's not what I needed. I needed someone to just be with me in the grief for a moment, to be okay with my emotions, 
maybe even just so I could be okay with my emotions too. But like I said, we were 19. Our emotional intelligence was still developing. How could I expect someone else to know what I needed when I wasn't even fully aware of it? All I really knew was that I always felt worse when I was trying to feel better. I knew that talking about my dad made people uncomfortable, so I stopped doing it. I also knew that there was something about the way some people responded that made moments feel incomplete or on edge, like I was talking to no one, while a select few people were like a warm blanket to fall into, or like that hug from your mom when you needed it the most. What's the difference? Why is it that some conversations feel disconnected while others feel like you're completely wrapped in them? Like they touch a part of your soul or like you can let your guard down because you feel safe to be real and raw and vulnerable. I think it has to do with the space that someone holds for you. I used to be really confused when people talked about holding space. Like, why do we need such woo-woo terms for just being there with someone? But if you think about it, We've all been with people who might be there physically, but they aren't there mentally. They're thinking about something else, or they're scrolling their phone, or you're having a conversation, but you can tell that nothing you're saying is actually landing. They're just focused on what they're going to say next. Versus someone who's with you, committed to that moment with you, and willing to just be with you where you are, even if your emotions are uncomfortable. That's holding space. It's probably one of the greatest gifts we can give to someone else. And it's also one of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves. You'd think we automatically hold space for ourselves. We're with ourselves every day, right? But how often do we distract from the moment or avoid our own painful feelings? Or we push down our dreams or choose the comfortable thing instead of the deep desire? When you hold space for yourself, you give yourself the awareness and the time and the intention to allow your energy to move. You need space to transform. So today we're going to learn how to hold space for ourselves and others. Our guest is Matt Kahn. He's a spiritual teacher, speaker, author, and highly attuned empathic healer. Matt wrote the highly acclaimed books, Whatever Arises, Love That, Everything is Here to Help You and the universe always has a plan. His newest book is All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. He has over 20 million YouTube channel views where people are finding relief from all of those challenges of daily life with his heart-centered messages. So three key things we will learn are how to engage different levels of listening, how to validate people in conversation, and why we get pushed away when someone fights their pain plus a whole lot of other wisdom nuggets. I feel like everything he says is quotable, so definitely pay attention to this episode. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Matt Kahn to the show. 
Well, thanks for having me. What an honor it is to be here with you. So what inspired your most recent focus about holding space? Because this is one of those phrases, when I first moved to LA, <laughs> years and years ago, everyone was like, yeah, I'll hold space for you, hold space for that. And I'm like, what is everyone talking about? <laughs> and now it's once I understood what it even meant and and then really understood how to integrate that into my life. It's something that I think about every single day. So what inspired your focus around it? I think what inspired my focus is the complete realization that we as human beings are all going through a spiritual journey of awakening. In that process of awakening, we're also healing our wounds, our traumas, whether from this lifetime, other lifetimes, if we remember that. And that we're all on a healing journey and where we are at in our healing journey and how aware or unaware we are of our healing journey is what determines the lens of our perception. And so became very aware to me, and I wrote this book during the George Floyd period of what was going on in the country. And I started to see so clearly how people's traumas and wounds were being tossed back and forth and that everyone wants to be seen and heard, but that people weren't always seeing and hearing one another. Of course, in my first book, it's about seeing and hearing ourselves as an act of self-love. And this book, my fourth book, was an opportunity to, as we see and hear ourselves, how do we learn to see and hear others as a way of saying, I want to know you, not just as a person with interests and passions. I don't just want to know you in a way that suits my convenience and preferences. But I can feel that you're as wounded as I may be, and I would like to know your journey so that I can be perhaps a course corrective experience for the healing you may or may not know you're undergoing. So it sounds to me that cultivating this ability to hold space for someone yeah. is sort of like committing to really being a vessel for purpose, whether it's yours or somebody else's or for understanding or for healing, which I, I really right. think that all comes back to purpose. I think that's part of the reason we're here is to right. figure out how to heal. I agree. And I think that what happens is, is that there are people that are unaware of the healing that they need to go through, that they're going through and not knowing that's what being triggered is about. There are people that are on a healing journey and may still have blind spots. For a lot of people, they're aware to some degree of what needs to heal and the wounds that we carry keep that part of us that was wounded in a field of silence. What's really interesting about spirituality is that we often go into silence for reflection, but we actually go into silence to match the state we are in when we were most traumatized and harmed and neglected by our past. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that when we talk about holding space, right, we're really connecting with each other on a very core fundamental level. And when I am saying to you that I would love to know the journey that made you who you are, I am being a safe, silent space that helps that part of you break the silence of persecution, of abuse, where you were silenced and perhaps stripped of your power by someone else's unconscionable behavior. And so what's interesting is that silence is the state we're in typically when we're being abused or traumatized. The ability for me to listen and hear you from a place of consciousness is helping you reframe your experience with silence and to actually give you the voice and the power to come back to who you are in present moment instead of spiral in the past. Now, we can't rush each other's healings. We can just invite the healing that says, I would love to know more about the journey that made you who you are, 
I would love to give you the space to be heard so that you can break the silence, heal whatever wounds you may carry, and may I be a course corrective experience of any other person that you have faced so that we each and we all as human beings every day, we're living our lives, we're raising our children, we're going to work, but we're also consciously holding space for one another's healing so that every day we are helping to create a more healed planet, a more conscious civilization, which is gonna actually reverse the karmic cycle and reverse things like global warming and have very big global ramifications for the amount of consciousness that we're bringing to this planet. Yeah, I have been having a lot of realizations. I mean, <laughs> I kind of live my life for the realizations, so sure. I have them all the time. But yeah. lately, I've been understanding my childhood in a new way. And it's one of those things where I didn't have a horrible childhood. Yeah, my mm -hmm. parents were divorced, and so I had to go back and forth a few times, but both parents loved me very deeply. Sure. I had things, you know, I didn't want for a ton. It wasn't spoiled either, whatever, <laughs> however you define that. Right. But looking back, one of the things that I'm really realizing is I never felt really understood. And asking mm -hmm. myself where that came from, I don't know how often I really felt heard or seen. Right. And it's a hard thing to come to terms with because, like I said, I had great parents in ways I've, I've brought this up where it's like, yeah, it's just like I might be opening up about why something, something from my past that affected me. And, and I see the intention of the way my parents handle it, but sort of almost saying, well, you could just do this or you can just choose to be this or th this things like this never affected me or whatever. And I, and I see the intention is good trying to show me a way out. But even to this day, when that happens, I can feel like the inner child version of me screaming, like, just listen, like, just understand where I'm coming from. And that's right. you might not even believe that this is why I'm the way I am or that this could affect me or whatever, but that's right. does that really matter? Because is that moment about that? Is that moment even really about you understanding or just about us connecting? That's right. And I, th and I think when you said that, I brought up something that's not in my book, although I wish I had the awareness to put this in my book. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. 
A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. When you said that, I brought up something that's not in my book, although I wish I had the awareness to put this in my book. But it inspires me to channel this statement and say, correcting is often a form of neglecting. And that what happens with a lot of parents, they hear their children and they think the only way I'm going to hold a valid space or be of value in their life is if I solve the problem that they have. They act like firefighters instead of connectors, right? And so they hear the thing and they say, oh, just do this or just do that. And they don't realize that the solution is just letting you speak and be heard and saying, wow, honey, I didn't know that about your experience. Thank you for sharing your secrets with me. I hold them in great regard. And I want to ask you what more I can do to help make it safer for you to be seen and heard. That is what a trauma-informed parent is able to do. And these are the kind of people and parents that we are learning to be. And so when I wrote the book, All for Love, I'm helping to create a more trauma-informed world so that we can actually hear each other and we can receive each other. And we realize that we can listen, we can encourage, we can support, and we can validate. But we don't actually need to correct, which is a form of neglecting which I think is very eye-opening for a lot of people. And that when we're trying to say, here's what you could do to solve the problem in the mind, in the subconscious mind, in order for me to be right to you, you have to be feel wronged in your perspective. And so a lot of parents will try to correct children thinking I educated them and not realize they left their child in a disempowered state where they're going to be more doubtful of their instincts, less trusting of their intuition. And so we have to really look at what our intention is as lovers, as friends, and as parents. What is our intention? And my intention personally as a human being, aside from the role I play professionally and in this arena, my intention is to empower people to be their highest, most aligned expression of spirit, which comes through as love. And I find that there's a lot of wisdom that I embody and channel. But in my life, I only share wisdom when someone asks me a direct question. Because I have an audience that asks me questions, I share all my answers. But if in my personal life, if people don't ask me a question, I don't give an answer. I only listen, I only encourage, and I only support so that I am always being supportive to their evolution and never stifling the confidence that I only want to help grow. 
That is so profound and something that I know I could do better at. I love to learn. I'm one month I might be totally going deep into mindset, then the next one's mm-hmm. spirituality. Right now I'm back into like nutrition and health and kind yes. of revamping all my knowledge. So I find myself, I just stayed with my mom and I, I'm just like making food and I'm just sharing information about the food and I see her tuned out and, and then I totally. don't feel heard. And I'm like, and I had this whole moment while making this sandwich where I was just like, she's like not even paying attention to me. And I'm like, but is this information that she wants or needs? Like, am I just broadcasting at her? Like why in this moment I brought it back to those almost childhood wounds, which is why I feel like I was triggered. But it was also this moment that if I sat with the silence enough, instead of Mm -hmm. pushing my perspective, I was able to see my part in it, which was the beginning of it in general that and I created this whole turmoil and my own trigger in in a moment of silence she actually did not do anything <laughs> she didn't do anything and she was just being you know and what's interesting is that when people are in ego and I don't think ego is a bad thing and the way I teach ego is not bad it's just about how integrated your ego is because ego is what we need to function as human beings uh, as spirit in human bodies right and oftentimes when people are in ego, which just means they're operating mostly from their conditioning versus from their essence or their highest wisdom, most people are only as present as they are interested in the content people share. So if you share a content that people are either not interested in or don't agree with, they don't know how to value it. And that's just kind of a, that's kind of a, a rule of thumb when it comes to conditioned mindset. I remember once I was sharing something that was really important with me with a relative and they were like, I just had said too many words and I started to see that they started, they, 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 they just, they had no more bandwidth. And I, just, <laughs> I stopped and I just looked at them and I stopped and then I waited for them to kind of come back and they went, oh, I'm here with you. And I said, can I ask you a question? And they said, what? I said, what would be the subject matter that would interest you the most? And they stopped. They go, oh, I don't want you to think I'm not interested. I said, no, no, it's okay. I'm just noticing that what I'm sharing doesn't seem to be of the highest value to you. And because I value our connection, I want to know what would be the highest value we can talk about so that we can be here together. And it was one of the boldest moments of my life. And I was speaking from such compassion, but it was fierce. It was fierce, direct. Hey, I noticed this. I'm just, let's bring it up. I don't need to shame anyone. No one is wrong. I'm not the ego police. I'm not going to be on my high horse. I'm just going to ask from a place of interest, what would be something we can talk about so that we can feel valued and connected? Because if I'm sharing what's exciting for me and you're not interested, I don't want you to walk away feeling left out, unseen or unheard. And it's my interest that we're both equally valued. Mm. it's, It's a fascinating way to learn how to communicate. And I think that when I wrote this book, the reason I wrote this book, for many reasons, was I realized there's a lot of consciously evolving people who are conscious in their wisdom, but they don't know how to apply it and they don't know how to communicate, right? We are very overstimulated. We are very underappreciated. Uh, as a society, we are over-sexualized and we are undernourished. And so a lot of us can go to spiritual events in a controlled container. We go when we want, we listen how much we want. It's all very controlled. We don't know how to take the wisdom we learn and apply it in the street where there are no rules. And so I want to teach people how to actually communicate with compassion in a way where everyone's needs can be met and that we can all learn through love 
to feel inspired by truth instead of afraid of truth. Because I think we have to really establish relationships with who in my life is inspired and drawn to truth and who is afraid of truth. And can we start respecting people for where they're at and not impose our needs onto them or vice versa? I found that really difficult in the beginning of my spiritual evolution. And still now, I'm not not perfect, but... I remember in the beginning, I was doing so much work mm-hmm. on myself and seeing so many changes. Like it was actually really exciting. I'm like, oh, actually, just a few weeks of gratitude, and I at least feel slightly different. You know, things aren't perfect, but there's mm-hmm. there's a noticeable change for me. And so, learning all these things, reading all these books, applying all these lessons, and then maybe I'd go home for a family reunion, or I'd meet up with old friends that weren't on that part of the journey, weren't on the same journey as I was. And I'd get frustrated because that might have a moment like that where maybe I would have the tools to notice if they weren't engaged and and kind of revert and cater to them and then feel left out myself because they didn't have the tools to give me the same grace or love or whatever (laughs) you translate that to. And so how do you coach people to be okay with that, to be that space, regardless of where anyone else is in their journey, when they're saying the things that you know you would never say back because it's exactly what would trigger or whatever it is. (laughs) I think, you know, the answer to that question is that some of us tend to be one foot in holding space and one foot out, right? And so when we learn to fully commit to holding space, what's fascinating through the laws of unity consciousness is that the more we are fully holding space for the experiences of ourselves and others, it may seem on the surface that that would sound like everyone gets their needs met but me. But what's interesting is we cannot have our needs met by people who are too traumatized by wounds they're not willing to face. That's the truth. Mm. So when we learn to hold space so immaculately, the light that pours through us in presence actually fulfills us completely no matter what what the other person is willing to give back, reflect, acknowledge, or accept. And so we learn to live in a world where other people's feedback is simply reflective of their journey and the gifts they give us is extra. And actually what allows us to walk away feeling whole by the conversation is not what they do or don't do, but what we allow ourselves to do as representations of consciousness. When we're in ego, it's, scorekeeping. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Hey, you see what I'm doing? Why aren't you doing that? See how I gave a pause and you went on for five minutes about that thing I don't care about? Now (laughs) it's my turn. Look at how you don't give a you know what. What's going on? What about me? And that's a hard way to live. And that's how most people live. And that's why people soothe themselves through addictive tendencies. That's why people check out. And that's why people desire the kind of relationships that sometimes, with all due respect, they don't have the bandwidth to step into and embody and receive and reflect and to participate in. So what we learn to do is we have to understand an awareness where we're at, where someone else is at. So we have, so instead of managing other people's experiences, we're just managing expectations. And we start to find that when we allow ourselves to give so purely and selflessly, It doesn't mean our needs don't matter. It means we allow our needs to be fulfilled by what we are giving and how deeply we are giving. And we are so fulfilled that what anyone else gives to us is just extra. And when it's just extra, 
It's so much more abundant. It's so much more beautiful. And it's so amazing how you can be in the presence of someone who has nothing to give and you can feel as if they gave you a gift because of how deeply rooted you were in your own state of presence. And so what I want to gift people with through this book is sovereignty, is liberation, the ability to be so present that other people are just reflections of the light that we share instead of reminders of the wounds that we may not have faced quite yet. I'm reminded of something that happened a couple of weeks ago. I am pregnant right now and I'm Congratulations. Having, thank you. Oh my God. I didn't mean to congratulations. <laughs> By the thank way, do you, you, do you know the gender yet or no? I did one of those early sneak peek tests, but I did it too early and apparently it's got a super high inaccuracy rate. So I may or may not be having a boy. <laughs> so you're having a boy jelly bean right now. This is Maybe amazing. there's a little gummy bear floating around in there. Gummy bear, this is so, okay, please. I, oh, well, congratulations. Thank you. Oh I goodness. wasn't expecting how enthusiastic you'd be, but I feel really good about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so I I was having a very difficult first trimester, which was actually amazing because it was the push I needed to make a bunch of other changes. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty big dietary change. I'm now eating a lot of animal products I wasn't eating before. Oh, yeah. uh, all these good things that I um, have been good guided toward. But I was in a bad place for a while because I was not feeling well. I ended up getting COVID, getting stung yeah. by bees on the same day. It was Good like a really, the, the power went out. It was 95 <laughs> degrees. I was staying in a tent in Michigan and it was just so hot. It was like one of the worst days that I can remember having. And I ended up like calling my mom crying and I'm just like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Just kind of like venting. And then she starts trying to fix it. And immediately before she even says anything deep, I'm like, all I need from you is to just like be that space for me. And and she didn't have the capacity at that moment and started saying something else. But in that moment, I was so weak physically (laughs) that I just Mm -hmm. like took a deep breath and laid back. And it was one of those moments that you were talking about where all of a sudden, I had zero expectations about what she said. I'm like, what do I even feel like this is going to give me? Like she's going to say the right thing and everything's going to be gone. And so it was this moment of surrender that ended up being more than just that moment. It was a kind of surrender to the whole thing. And, And it, from that moment on, things got significantly better. And so it's just such a great reminder that so often we go into situations, whether it's with a person or traveling or whatever, and we have this expectation about how it's going to fulfill this need. And that might not even be the actual need that we have. Our soul might have a different need. And instead of expecting some individual person to (laughs) supply this to you, just trust that the universe already is, even if it's not the need that you came in feeling like you wanted to get filled. And if you can do that more often, then that's, I feel like when evolution really takes off because it's not your will anymore. It's, it's what you came here for. It's that deeper part of you. It goes beyond the ego and it's what your soul is asking for. And so I just love that lesson because it's so hard to not have expectations of other people. But I think it's one of our biggest causes of our own unhappiness. I, I agree. And I think, you know, it's, I love how just everything you're saying is inspired touching a flow that's coming through me right now. All these things I've just like never said, which is so great. What I will say is when we interact with people, we hope for pleasure, but we learn to respect the pain. What I say is never a replacement for settling for and justifying abusive 
relationships. So I want to let everyone know who's hearing this, and I say this every time I do a transmission, I'm never offering spiritual insight to overly spiritualized, traumatizing, toxic relationships or environments, as if if you were more conscious, their abuse wouldn't matter or wouldn't hurt. What I'm saying on a more subtle level is we hope to derive pleasure from our experiences, but when someone has been put in a role in your life to bring up the pain of the past that needs to be healed, we learn to respect, wow, I was hoping for a moment of pleasure, and I guess it was time for a moment of pain. But again, that's not to justify using spirituality or pretending acceptance is to validate and to enable someone's ability to take advantage of us. It's a very specific thing. And, and I think in addition, what I want to say that I think is really new, and I've never taught this before, it's so cool, is our expectations are a direct reflection of our defenses. So lots of expectations comes from lots of defense. Less expectations comes from less defense. No expectation comes from no defense. So as people on healing journeys, we work on healing the wounds that created the defenses like a protective mechanism inside of us. We learn to bring down the walls and feel safe and sovereign in ourselves. And the more the walls come down, the less defensive we are, and the less defensive we are, the less expectations we have. And what is helpful, as most people don't know, is that they have expectations to maintain the defenses they hide behind. So people want to be intimate, but they're afraid of connecting. So as we take responsibility to hold space for ourselves, we lower the wall of defense as we heal our traumas. To the degree we have lowered the wall of defense, we learn to have no expectations because our expectations are assuming other people live in our reality. We're the only ones that live in our reality. Your mom, anyone's mom, any other person lives in their own reality and we are literally sharing space as visitors in each other's reality. But no one but us lives in our version of reality. So to expect is setting up to correct. And as I said, correcting is a form of neglecting. So it all comes back to, can we heal our defenses to have less expectations without using that as a justification for other people to abuse us? That's really the razor's edge. That's the middle way. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove.
Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That reminds me of one of the principles that you teach in your book about mm. how when someone fights their pain, you get pushed away. That's right. And so that's really such a good example of of what that looks like. It's like, okay, well, how how or why do you get pushed away? Well, this person has so many defenses. They're trying to protect themselves so much because they are fighting that pain. They're not surrendering to it. They're not right. inviting it in to find the lesson. And so mm -hmm. instead they've got to guard themselves. And when they guard themselves, it's so easy to take it personally because it might manifest in all of these other ways, like rejecting you or insulting you. But to really truly understand that that's just their pain talking is liberating because then you don't have to have any of your expectations entangled. I agree. And I think it's the simple realization of shifting our perspective from they're not loving me to they don't know how to love me. And they don't know how to love me because they don't know how to love themselves. And they don't know how to love themselves because they're not facing themselves. And they don't know how to face themselves because they don't know how to find safety perspective outside of the looping of their traumas in their subconscious mind. And so the more we become aware of the traumas people hold, the more we become aware of other people's journey of healing, even if the person we're dealing with doesn't even have an inkling of awareness of the healing going through them or going on in their system, we can just be mindfully aware of, hey, I'd love to connect with this person, but I see you have a lot on your plate and I'm just going to connect with you in a way that says, here's my intention, here's what I'd love to connect with you on, and please let me know how close you can get to this or not at all. And thank you so much for blessing me with your presence in my life. Beautiful. I'm reminded of one of the most profound realizations I ever had in my early 20s. Well, actually, it was closer to my late 20s by the time I really understood this wisdom, but realizing that other people... When I'm offended by somebody else or in a way that like is clear, <laughs> clear where they're trying to hurt me or they're trying, sure. trying to say something that cuts me down, uh, whether it's I've had different people comment on my weight at different times in my mm. life or on, you know, cutting down my dreams or things like that, where it just mm. felt like it was a, a dagger. Realizing that that wasn't about me, it's, it's a reflection of exactly the way they speak to themselves. In those moments since that, it's it's so hard to even feel offense when somebody is directly attacking me because right. my first thought is, oh, wow, what an insight into the mind of that person and what they have right. to deal with every single day. I only have to deal with it in this moment, in this conversation, and I can easily walk away. And this person right. cannot walk away, and they clearly do not have the tools to heal themselves or else it wouldn't be coming out towards other people as well. And not only was that another just moment of liberation or freedom so that I don't have to <laughs> expect that mm -hmm. or or allow my moods, my 
my happiness to be affected by somebody else in that moment right. is just big because it turns what would be offense or sadness or hurt into compassion. And suddenly you have the whole other side of the energy spectrum that you're able to sort of glow outward and and see and and see what comes up. But it is a so important to realize, especially in these times right now where everything is just so divided and everyone's so sealed in their opinions and they've been Mm -hmm. on the other side of their screens for so long that I feel like they've forgotten that empathy. And so it's something I I find myself having to remind myself even more lately. It's a great point to make. And what's interesting for people to hear is, wouldn't it be great to know that the greatest way you can be safe from the harm of others verbally and emotionally is exactly how you help them for whatever time you can spend with them. And you don't have to force it, but whatever time you're willing to spend, you can also help people learn how to better treat themselves. And it happens through compassion, as you're saying. And I love, I love what you're saying. You know, I've had experiences where people have been very derogatory to me, you know, online. You know, people, and, and, and again, the, the irony is that the people that are usually the, the, the most nasty to you know you the least. That's the way it works because that's how unconsciousness works. Just like the only way someone can abuse another person is by pretending that they're the hero, not the villain, right? Because it only happens in unconsciousness. You can't, you can't abuse someone in presence. It doesn't exist. But what's interesting is that when I see someone being derogatory towards me or being passive aggressive or being sarcastic, I see what is operating in them. But even deeper, what I, what I feel is they're actually speaking the words in the dialogue They're literally embodying like a Shakespeare play and doing a monologue of here's how someone treated me and here's how I've been harmed. So like in the book, for example, one of the statements that I give people is, I now see how you've been mistreated. And I learned that by talking with someone once and they asked me what I did for a living. I was at like a social family gathering, you know, extended family friend who are, you know, we're talking, oh, what do you do? And I'm a spiritual teacher and best-selling author and, you know, whatever, whatever I say. And, and they were just being very interesting about like, oh, is that even a profession? Oh, yes, it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to help a lot of people. And I don't even know if that's even real. And I turned to them and I said, I really feel for any way in which anyone questioned or doubted your dreams or desires. And they said, what do you mean? I said, what you're saying to me is a reflection you're, you're, you're reading from the script of how someone may have harmed you. And if anyone stifled your dreams or squashed your ambition or didn't believe in you the way you wanted to believe in, I just want to let you know that I see that, I feel that, and I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And there was a pause where the person didn't even know how to take that. And they didn't respond in this big conscious way. It just stopped the, der- the derogatory projection. And there was just a pause and they go, well, I, I, I don't know about that. Oh, that's okay. I just wanted to say those words. It's a pleasure to meet you. And then I found my way out. But what's interesting is what I learned is that the way I stay safe is also the way I show someone love. And what I think that we are very confused in the world is the way I stay safe is in defense. And I only give love to people that I've decided to not be defensive towards. And that's where the evolution of collective consciousness is right now. We are in a state of great division in this world. We're in a state of incredible righteousness in the world. And it's because we have to be fully absorbed in something before we can collectively transcend it. So all the things that we're absorbed in, division and righteousness, is showing us what the world is healing and working through as we start to slowly move beyond it. 
And as we as individuals learn to hold space, we learn to melt the walls of division. We learn to dissolve the attacks of projection. And the thing that we need to help people learn how to value themselves is the same thing that keeps us safe. And that's essentially why I wrote All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. There's so much in that. And yeah. I feel like, especially with those of us who recognize that we're here for a reason to evolve past what maybe the average human expects from their life or who wants to be the vessel to help other people, I think what can be really difficult are boundaries mm-hmm. because you see how you can help in certain situations or, or you might see clearly what a person's going through, but then you're also trying to balance not rushing their process <laughs> and also trying to balance your own boundaries at the same mm-hmm. time to keep yourself sure. safe. How do you know when to stay and be that vessel or be a tool for someone and when you have to walk away and, and protect yourself? Well, a lot of people miss the signs, <clears throat> which is why they get into arguments and they get into, you know, God forbid, altercations and God forbid someone's life ends from a moment of violence, which is heartbreaking that it happens in, in, in today's society and, and, and school shootings and all the things we could talk about, you know, and, and then these are things I don't shy away from because this is reality and I'm not here to be a spiritual teacher that brings us into the clouds and negates the earth. You know, we're bringing heaven to earth because we are, this is the field that we're healing, which is this planet. I think that there, there's a first sign we get. There's a first sign we get where it's like, I think it's time. We, we've, we've shared files. This is as much as we can handle. And the first sign is disinterest. Because to, to be honest, what makes me mostly bulletproof in most situations where I'm saying that because I could never say I, it could never happen. Who knows? But I, I know my how I've been for the last 18 years after a series of radical awakenings. And it's been very consistent. And what I have found is my level of offense, meaning how easily or difficult it is for people to offend me is based on my level of interest in them. And I think what happens is that most people are only interested in how other people can serve their own self-interests. In my experience, I'm incredibly interested in other people. I'm incredibly interested in learning about things I don't know about, which is why I get really excited to learn about people's nationality and culture. I'm really into food. I talk with everyone about food because it's the greatest way to learn about cultures and differences and diversity and, you know, like everyone's a different crayon in the, cr- in the crayon box and it's all making art and I love it. And I'm interested. So if I'm interested in someone, I'm so interested, nothing's offending me because I'm interested in them. The moment for anyone else, if that interest stops, that's the ego saying, I've reached my limit. And most people don't see it. And they start to push beyond interest to go, no, I can do this, or that's a judgment or whatever. And they push past the breaking point. And then they start to age regress in their behavior. They start to get triggered. They start to act out from the wounds of younger parts. And maybe we act and say things that we regret. So the first thing to be aware of is when I stop stop being interested, I start tuning someone out. And I'm just speaking from most people's experience. When I start tuning people out, I stop being interested. That's the first sign of we've reached our limit. And we can say to people, hey, I'd love to continue this. My time has come. I've reached my limit. And I feel as if I'm not able to hold my highest honor with you. And I would like to just pick this up some other time when I have more bandwidth, which I talk about in the book. And most people think that that is radically 
unrealistic to say because most people's egos don't want to say things that make them seem weak or less than the inflated versions of themselves they try to sell to people. But it's so honest to say, hey, I can't do this anymore right now because I'm going to act in a way that disrespects my values and might overlook your sovereignty. So I'm going to do my best job to protect both of us. I'm going to say, I got to go. If that triggers you, I honor this experience and I love you. If that causes this relationship to end permanently, well, then we're both being spared. And that's radical. It's such a powerful skill to be able to enforce. I'm not yes. the best with confrontation. So it's right. something that I've had to really work on slowly mm-hmm. but surely. I'm like, okay, I've, I've got to be the one to make this phone call for a doctor's appointment. It's, it's so strange. Why are we yeah. like that? I know a lot of people like that, but I do see what you're saying in the way that the moment I lose interest in where I'm, I can no longer feel myself being able to just be curious about what somebody's sharing. That's right. That's when my ego starts to inflate. And all of a sudden, instead of thinking about what questions I can ask to go deeper, I'm thinking about what I can say to enforce my reality on this person, to convince right. them of something or to show them I'm right or to really, it's almost all the ways that you invalidate somebody's experience. That's right. That's right. It's, it's a great way to distill what we're talking about and integrate it in a very, very beautiful way. That And something that you said earlier I want to really touch upon, which is interesting about not being good with confrontation. Most people believe they're not good with confrontation. And the reason most people believe they're not good with confrontation because they avoid it. The truth is, all of us are actually better in confrontation than we think because confrontation is only a discussion of truth. What confrontation is, is the ability to face truth together without defenses. Or, if you, or a confrontation is, I'm going to face truth without the defenses, even while you defend yourself and hide behind a wall. And so a lot of people think they're really not skillful in confrontation because they don't give themselves a chance to speak so truthfully. The more we allow ourselves to speak truthfully, the more safe we feel in confrontation. And actually, the less it feels like a confrontation and more like a sharing. And then we're able to see someone else feels confronted because they feel confronted to the degree that they are avoiding and looking away from the truth they're scared to face. So what we have to actually do is learn to value truth. And in my experience, and I can't assume my experience is the same for everyone, in my experience, my experiences in in, in my reality, just as a person walking the street or in my family, my experience is categorically foreign to nearly every person in my family. And I say that with complete respect, just truth. It's completely different, and it makes me very compassionate. So I don't think anything's a confrontation. I was raised in confrontation. I was raised in emotional volatility by two beautiful parents who also had incredible egos that when they got triggered became completely different people. And it shocked me, and I had to work through it, and I talk about it in the book, and it's such a great addition to the teachings I offer so that people can read it. And most people who read my book, they go, you just told my life story. But what I think is interesting is that I was raised in confrontation. I was raised in a family where I was not allowed to turn away from confrontation. I would cry to my parents and say, you're harming me. I need to go to my room. I don't feel safe. And they said, you know what? 
you're not going to go until we say you're going to go. And the fact that you want to go means we're going to sit here longer. And I was interrogated and something in me broke open and I started to study language patterns. I started to notice people's breath. I started to study and analyze and I started to look at things from a very curious, inquisitive, aware perspective. And it helped me to understand confrontation as a gateway into truth. And even though I was raised in a very in a family that was very volatile and very aggressive and very harsh sometimes, a lot of the times, I learned to express truth from a space of love. I live in a world where I am one with all things. I also respect the fact I live in a world where people don't always see things the way I see things. And so for me, it's a beautiful honor to be so gentle, but not allow the gentleness to dilute the truth I need to speak, and equally, not allow the truth I speak to take away from the compassion that I'm giving to someone. And that's something we all have to really learn, and it takes time. But, but when we get there, boy, is truth so empowering and refreshing, and is, it's so beautiful to be in relationship with truth versus avoidance. One of the things that finally helped me to stop avoiding confrontation so much is Mm -hmm. realizing that in those spaces of time where I was avoiding the confrontation, that's when I'm the most miserable because everything's up in the air, nothing's resolved, all I have are my own thoughts to keep spiraling. So I've made it a point to go in scared more often, but... I think the big fear for me comes from the fact that very similar to what you said where, yeah, people might not see things the way you see them. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my whole life has been this idea of finding truth. And then when I go into a situation and my truth isn't seen or heard, they hold a whole different truth. It just feels isolating. And so it's, it's difficult to stand in my truth while other people stand in theirs, I suppose, but there's not a lot of connection there. How do you find that respect, I suppose, for really it can apply to so many situations, whether you're in an argument, whether somebody's just not allowing you to be or helping you or being that person to be heard, but to still just sort of coach yourself into fully, wholeheartedly respecting that their journey is just as valid. What are the ways that you kind of talk yourself into that? Because I know in the moment that's difficult Mm. for people. (laughs) I'll give you one specific point. I think it's so good for everyone. And I kind of indirectly touch upon the book and I make so many incredible points in the book. Here's the main way we do this. Instead of having a point to prove, we have questions to ask. That's the first thing. Because questions show someone that we're interested. And the questions we ask of them show interest. Interest is a way of telling someone subconsciously, I'm safe to be around, whether you can believe it or not. And how they answer the questions lets us know where they're at and shows us where the level of engagement is going to be. If I lead with a point to prove, which I personally don't in my life, right? I'm this spiritual teacher. I serve a lot of people in the world, and I'm humbled by the ability I have to, to touch so many lives. I truly am. It's my, it's my life's mission, and it's my greatest joy, and I've dedicated my entire life to this, and it's, it's my honor. But in my personal life, well, in my professional life, why do I share so openly? Because people ask me to. They ask questions, and I have answers. In my personal life, if they don't ask questions, I don't have answers. I have, I have support. And I ask questions of interest. How are you today? How, how is your heart feeling? Are you enjoying this party we're at? 
And they say, oh, tell me about yourself. See, they're safe now. They're asking me a question. Oh, they're interested. And their questions are showing me how much interest they can give me. And their questions are showing me only what they have the bandwidth to receive. So when we have points to prove, we are giving information based on what we hope people will receive because oftentimes our egos are an extension of our beliefs and our passions and our interests. And if people are interested in our interests, we think they're interested in us. What I do is I ask questions to know what someone has the bandwidth to receive. And I only want to serve that from a space of compassion because I'm a being who does not have a point to prove. I only have questions to ask. And if I ask a question and someone goes, oh, you know, I go, oh, didn't mean to disturb you. I hope you have a wonderful time at the party. And if there's ever a time that you'd like to talk again, I'll be over there by the Costco appetizer someone bought, unfortunately. <laughs> Half frozen nonsense <laughs> that I'm going to eat and wonder why I'm cheating on my diet and how much more on the treadmill I'm going to do the next day and be horrified that I finally have a day off of my strict diet and workout routine and I'm wasting it on this crap. No offense. <laughs> I'm going to go over there and have a little discussion of myself and process my decisions. If you'd like to talk, I'll be over there, but I want to respect your sovereignty. And I'm going to ask questions. And if we get a little like this, I go, oh, that's all we have. That's totally okay. I'm just asking because I'm interested. I'm, I don't mean to bother you. So I think it comes from the place of we vow to do no harm to a human being. In order to let a human being that we vow to do no harm, we have to have less points to prove and we have to have more questions to ask. Most people only feel safe with other people if other people validate your beliefs, ideals, and standpoints. What I'm teaching is that we don't have to agree on anything. We just have to learn how to connect in spite of our differences. We don't have to find similarities. We don't have to placate people. We have to learn that instead of having points to prove, we have questions to ask. And when we treat ourselves that way, when I ask myself questions, instead of having points to prove with myself, it makes me that much more of a capable communicator when I'm with someone else. Does that still apply in more intimate relationships? Like ones where you hope maybe your ways of communicating might allow you to communicate better. An example of this would be, say you have a partner or your mom or whatever, and, and you hear in relationship coaching that it can be valuable to go to someone and say like you know when this happened I felt this way in hopes that in future encounters it might go a little bit smoother you might not be poking each other in the same ways but in a way that's also sort of enforcing your own will and your own preferences so where's the line of really being curious and and being okay with things as they are while also trying to stimulate growth in a relationship well, I think that we don't have to stimulate growth in a relationship. Relationships are the space where growth occurs. And I think that sometimes people are trying to use their egos to impersonate the universe instead of letting the universe do what it's going to do over the course of time. I think the sticking point is if someone is mistreating you verbally, emotionally, or otherwise. Like if someone is saying something, like for example, I'll give another example because examples are always helpful. At a family function, of course, and, and the joke is most of my stories are either family functions or I'm on an airplane, because that's where I live. I'm either on an airplane or at a family function. That's where all my, <laughs> I get all my material from. It's amazing. And I had someone who had been drinking, and I told the story in the book. Someone had been drinking at a party because at my family functions, you know, people come, there's an open bar. I go for like an hour just to make an appearance. That's what I do. 
And once people get to a certain level, it's time for me to leave because it's really not my scene. So I'm there. People are kind of getting a little loosey-goosey, totally cool. And then some people, when they get loosey-goosey, like to walk around and just start to dispense their wisdom. You know what I think? You know what I think of you? And they start, you know, riffing. And I had someone who was a little intoxicated talking to me a little inappropriately. And I let them talk. And I just leaned in and I said, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but what you're saying is very hurtful to me. And I don't know that you mean to be hurtful, which is a way of giving the benefit of the doubt. I don't know that you mean to be hurtful as, as if to let them know I'm not trying to attack you. I don't know that you mean to be hurtful, but what you're saying is not feeling good to me. So if there's any way that we can adjust the volume and the intensity of what you're saying, I'd love to be here with you. And then they kind of went, I was just joking. And I said, you know what? I hope you enjoy your night. And I walked away. I put them on notice. That's what we do. If someone is harming us, we say, you know, I don't know that you mean to do this, which is giving the benefit of the doubt, but whether it's words directly towards us that are derogatory or if it's saying, you know, there's something about this interaction that is just bringing up something from my past that's making me feel very unsafe. Most people would never in a million years say that to someone, and that's why they have conflicts because conflicts are created by the communication we withhold. And we have to learn how to communicate. And the reason people don't communicate is because they're afraid to be vulnerable because no one wants to be the weak person. We all want to be superheroes. But guess what? We hurt. We hurt. We hurt each other. We hurt ourselves. And we have to have the right to say, hey, this is not feeling good to me. And I want to let you know the way I wish to be treated. And and, And then you let someone know that. And if it continues, I'm sorry. This feels more of the same to me. I'm going to have to leave now. I will see you sometime soon. I send you love, but I, I cannot be treated this way. And we are constantly teaching people how we deserve to be treated. That's in an aggressive, mean-spirited experience. Sometimes you're just around people, and it's like just the tone of their voice brings up an association to your past. And we have to be able to say, hey, there's just something about this that is making me feel so ungrounded and unsafe. Is there any way we can just adjust this tone? Or can we, do you mind if we talk about something else? I'm really just feeling really unsafe. And even if they say, nope, this is the only thing I'm going to talk about, which no one would ever say. We go, you know what, I appreciate that, but I need need to be there for me and this is not good for me. And we have to learn how to be vulnerable and we have to accept as human beings, if we're going to honor our strengths we have to also own our weaknesses. And there's nothing more weak in a human being than a weakness that no one talks about. And that's the spell I am breaking. It's so powerful because I think what people forget about boundaries or what I forgot yeah. or didn't realize or didn't know for so long, that confrontation I was afraid of or standing up for myself I was afraid of because... I didn't want to make the other person feel a certain way. I didn't want to call Mm -hmm. out the other person. But what learning to do that for myself has done is it models for other people that this is also a way to be. This is a way to protect yourself. And I think it goes so much further in protecting them overall because you're giving them the tools, you're teaching them, you're showing them a way to protect themselves when is needed than trying to, you know, just keep them from feeling pain in a specific moment and instead sitting in it with them. So I feel like there's so much in this interview, so many takeaways. It was exactly what I needed today. I, As I shared, I've been pregnant. I've been in a tent in this crazy situation, just 
kind of like took two months off of work. This is my first interview back and it's the exact (laughs) energy that I need to just kind of pull me back into my world of meditation and, and just trying to take care of myself. So thank you, thank you for the wisdom that you brought today and for listeners that are resonating with you as much as I am, where is the best place to find you and your book? Well, my book is available at every major retailer on Amazon.com. It's called All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. And if people go to mattkahn.org, that's M-A-T-T-K-A-H-N.org. And at the first uh, page of my website, you can sign up to receive my free newsletter we send out once a week with teachings and videos. And you also get a free download that we send that people like really really love and have found to be deeply healing. So maccon.org is where all my events are posted and people can attend events. And, and the beauty of what I do is I'm not even just speaking words, but I'm transmitting a healing energy within the words so that people are actually experiencing the healing of what I'm talking about in real time. And so for those of us on this journey that really want to dive deeply, that really want to embody our consciousness and learn how to embody our light in a real world and tangible way and in a heart-centered way, This is the path that I offer for so many of us that are ready to make this bold evolutionary leap. And it's my sincere honor and pleasure to do so in the name of love. All the links for this episode are at mindlove.com slash 243. Your challenge for this week is to practice holding space, whether for someone else or for yourself. Either way, the purpose is to really practice being there in the moment. For me, it actually helps to visualize this container that I'm holding, whether it's for me or for somebody else. Have you ever heard like a relationship counselor talk about the container that you've created as a couple? (laughs) It's really just like the dynamic and the energy between the two of you what you feel safe to open up with, what you don't. How is the container of that relationship defined? But that container can be held by yourself as well. Like what container do you hold for yourself? What do you feel safe holding on to, letting go of? What do you feel like you need to hide? All of those questions can be asked alone or in a relationship dynamic. Just asking these questions alone can give you tremendous insight into your relationship with yourself or with someone else. Because a lot of times, the things that we don't feel safe to share aren't even about the other person. It might be an insecurity we need to work through. Or maybe it is. Maybe you shared something before and you were shot down and you weren't heard or you didn't feel understood and so you no longer feel safe to bring up those same kinds of topics. But the only way to start to heal these almost toxic relationship dynamics, and I'm kind of hesitant to use the word toxic because I think it's thrown around too much. But for me, I feel like there's toxicity in a lot of things. It doesn't mean that relationship is to be avoided. It just means that, oh, this is a little bit of poison that I'd like to extract in order to make this as healthy as possible. But it's this deep presence that's the first step to holding space. And it's also what's needed to have the kind of awareness in order to consciously create the relationship with yourself or with the other person or to choose to really connect with them. And so let me know how it goes. 
reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa or leave a comment right on the show notes page at mindlove.com slash 243. If you'd like to support Mind Love, the best way to do that is by joining Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com slash premium. You get early release episodes, an ad-free listening experience, plus a ton of meditations and also a whole backlog of over 50 exclusive Mind Love episodes that are only available to premium members. It's also super easy. You just get a link, you import it straight to your favorite podcast player, and all of those episodes will show up automatically. You never need to do that step again, and you'll get your ad-free and early release episodes straight to your podcast player. Other ways to support is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you do, I just might read your review on the show. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.